You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to Episode 37 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob couldn't make it this evening, but we have a great panel of guests here to talk to, the one and only Mr. Herb Biblow. Um, so we're coming to you from the Sachin Public Library in Holbrook, New York, and if this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The Library Pros Podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to subscribe to our RSS feed, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and via our email subscription uh, on our webpage, libraryprose.com. And if you like what you hear, consider leaving a review on the service of your choice. And we're also on Twitter at, at the Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash librarypros. Today, joining us for a very special edition of the podcast is... <clears throat> is Mr. Herb Biblow. Um, he was the director of LORIC, the Long Island Library Resources Council. He's just newly retired. And also joining us is uh, Art Friedman from NASA Community College and Chris Kretz, podcaster extraordinaire from all of his podcasts. <laughs> From the Long Island History Project, and what's the radio one that you're working uh, on? The Radio Tower. The Radio the Tower. Yep. Fun and exciting stuff. So thanks, everybody, for coming, and thank you, Mr. Biblo, for coming uh, in and, and speaking with us today. So today we're going to be talking to uh, Herb about his long and storied history in the profession. Um, so we wanted to start with just the first question. Um, let's start at the beginning, because... Um, we all we know about you from from your work with Lorick, uh, but we don't know a lot about the very beginning of your career. Can you tell us where your career began? Where my career began as a librarian. Mm. Let me think. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you tell everybody where you got your library degree from? Where'd you go to library school? Oh well, University of Chicago. Uh, library, graduate library school. Uh, but that sort of came later in life, and you indicated you'd want some background as to where I'm from. What sure, I'm doing sure, go for uh, it. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a, a poor Brooklyn boy who uh, whole life in my early youth was between Prospect Park and Coney Island, or on Coney Island Avenue. That was my whole world. Uh, but I did have advantage of a good uh, New York City elementary school, and probably even more important was the local branch of the Brooklyn Public Library, which was located on King's Highway, uh, around 15th Street, over and above a Chinese restaurant. It was on the second floor, and that library was always filled. Chairs always filled, and we called it the People's University, and it truly was at that time, because this was in the midst of the Great Depression. So uh, public libraries had a major impact on me and probably many other people. Um, that library I, eventually moved. Excuse me? 
that library eventually moved to uh, Ocean Avenue. Did it? And uh, between Quentin and Avenue R. Could be, could be. Uh, it's been a long time, even when I went back to visit the old neighborhood a couple of years ago. I never got to where the library had been before. I was looking for a kosher delicatessen <laughs> and couldn't find one. There were only Russian restaurants there now. So anyway, that part of the world changed. Not the physical features, but the inhabitants of my old world. At any rate, uh, eventually, uh, Graduated from high school, Lafayette High School, because I wasn't smart enough as my friend Art to get into James Madison. <laughs> I didn't know the rules at that time, and I lived on the wrong side of Coney Island Avenue. So eventually, I did graduate from Lafayette High School and got a little job downtown. Uh, incidentally, I was eligible for a full scholarship at City College. At that time, you had to have upper grades, but I couldn't afford to go during the day, so I went at night. Uh, and shortly after that, I entered the Army, 1943. 1943, mm -hmm. I was in the Army, and the Army itself, three years, uh, half of it spent in Europe, really had an impact on my life in two ways. No matter how noble the war, I learned that war is miserable, it changes people, often for the worst, not for the better, and it is an ugly situation, and I've always opposed idea. While I'm not a pacifist, I'm deadly against wars. At any rate, the war had another impact on me. It opened up the whole new world to me. I got to go to Paris. I, I was in Belgium and Holland and Germany, and it, it, there are things that I didn't even imagine when I was growing up in Brooklyn. So after the, my time in the war, 1946, on the GI Bill, I went back to City College at 23rd Street, which is now Bernard Baruch School, uh, and graduated. Uh, the first thing I did, I didn't even wait for graduation out of town, moved out, went, and don't ask me why I went to Indiana, of all places. <laughs> it could have been Utah, anyway, for some reason or other, maybe I heard there were jobs out there, something like that. I ended up in Indiana, which really turned out to be the turning point in my life, because when I got to Indiana and got a job, I found people that had the same interests I did. Actually, 
Henry Wallace was running for president on a third-party ticket. Um, Henry Wallace was FDR's vice president in his third term and was dropped for the fourth term. So as a liberal, he was running, and I ran into people, young people like myself, who were involved in this kind of endeavor. And among those people was Mary, the woman I was going to spend the rest of my life with. After pursuing her and and making myself uh, impossible, she agreed to marry me. We got married, not in Indiana, because we found out at the time Indiana still had miscegenation laws. Nah. We had to go to Chicago to get married. I was going to ask you, which part of Indiana were you working in? Northern Indiana. Okay, well, that's a little better because the southern part of Indiana was, was really well, a uh, tough place to be. Northern Indiana was uh, an industrial area mm-hmm. with factories and mills and stuff right there. So we moved to Chicago. Um, what did I do? What, was Mary from Indiana? Yes, Mary okay. was brought up in Indiana. Her father was a steel mill worker. Um, and um, it was a real mill town. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't believe it if I told you, but I actually worked at a steel mill for a year. Wow. I obviously wasn't fit for the work. <laughs> <laughs> it depends what job at the steel mill. <laughs> well, at any rate, I'm just about as clumsy as you can be. And at any rate, uh, back in the in Chicago, uh, I got another job. I don't recall the details of that. Uh, anyway, Mary started was has started a degree at the. Uh, Indiana University, the local campus, and uh, she went on to Roosevelt University and got a bachelor's degree there. Uh, Meanwhile, I started to do some substitute teaching. I took a couple of courses in education, and I was able to substitute in in, uh, the Chicago system. Pursuing that, uh, following that, uh, I ended up teaching fifth grade <laughs> on a full-time basis. Uh, and when the librarian's job opened up at that school and they couldn't fill it, I volunteered. Uh, and then I had to take a couple of courses uh, to keep it, and that started me. My library career. So in a school library, that's I, I wouldn't have guessed that. You wouldn't have guessed that. that. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't have guessed it either because at that school, it was grade kindergarten through eight, and I had to provide services to everybody from kindergarten to the eighth grade. And if you could hear me uh, reading uh, some of these. <laughs> Picture books, you, you wouldn't believe it, uh, the sounds that came out of my mouth. <laughs> but at any rate, it was, 
enough of interest that I transferred to a high school and uh, was a high school librarian for a while. Back for quite a while, um, an opportunity came up and I took the principal's exam in, in Chicago and passed. And I held a principal certificate for seven years and immodestly I would tell you I had many offers, many offers, um, and I finally rejected them all and never did take a principal's position. I have to tell you, I was warned by a number of people. It's a miserable job. <laughs> uh, and I was happy doing what I was. And meanwhile, uh, I was taking uh, some additional courses at the library school. Uh, one of the teachers was a local Hyde Park person. I was living in Hyde Park. And... Um, and uh, she was uh, um, teaching uh, at the library school, and she recommended me for a job at the John Corral Library, which was no longer in existence. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Newberry Library, mm -hmm. which is still in existence. The Corral Library was uh, on the Illinois Institute of technology campus. They ran the campus library, and they also had a major medical library. And uh, there was a public library and a special library, an academic library. And I stayed there until I saw this little ad for a library in Suffolk County. And I, Suffolk County, that's on Long Island. And I never really got to Long Island when I <laughs> lived in Brooklyn, uh, so on and so forth. So I applied for the job, and that, that's history now. So you have your whole, my whole background <laughs> in a capsule of, uh, from birth to uh, the end of my... Uh, well, the interesting piece there is the fact that he had all the components of what the three R's yeah. are about with schools, special libraries, academic libraries, and public libraries yeah. all wrapped up into right. one short career in, in uh, Chicago. I really did have a broad, broad experience. And particularly when I was at John Carrar, I was active in the American Library Association, was like the treasurer, and... Uh, and, and and started my career, if you might say, at AOA, as an activist at AOA. And the first convention I went to was the one in Atlantic City. The Atlantic City convention was when AOA burst out of the top, out of the room. Uh, a lot of the uh, veterans were coming back into the, and entering the profession and making demands of AOA that they were not accustomed to uh, hearing. And this convention in Atlantic City 
burst out of the hoop. That was the year that AOA, the following year, AOA hired a parliamentarian. Okay. <laughs> they, they couldn't control. It was so chaotic. At, at with that, the young Atlantic people, mm -hmm. that's when all the progressive groups, different groups, got started. And some of the big names that are now gone were active. Uh, what was his name? The editor of Moon. 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 And uh, what's her name? Uh, who, who's, uh, who had a publishing firm recently. Oh, you told Pat Schumann? Pat Schumann. Mm -hmm. okay. And the whole bunch of, over the world. And that's when the social responsibility movement uh, got started. Mm -hmm. Eric Moon published a book on social responsibility, it was a real vibrant world. When, when, if you had to pinpoint that year, that Atlantic City Conference, was like in the 60s or 50s? 68, or? 68 I 68, think. 68, okay. 68. Uh, I was a little older than the others. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, it, it was an exciting time in librarianship. And... Then I came out to Long Island. When you went to Chicago with Mary as your wife, yeah. were you both in library school at the same time? I think part of the time, certainly. Part of the time, certainly. She went to what is now Dominican uh, College, and I was at the U of C library school. Um, so... Uh, I mean, we have a very active husband-wife team in librarianship. Uh, Mary Biblo has been a member of the ruling council of the American Library Association for, what is it, 30? 39 consecutive years. That's impressive. It's <laughs> very impressive. <laughs> and re-elected and never once nominated by the official nominating committee. <laughs> or Always ran by petition. Right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, she she has been a role model for a lot of people, particularly minority women, who come up to her this to this day and thank you. This and that stuff right there. So, the family's made its contribution. I should add one other little. Uh, nugget there. Uh, my daughter Lisa uh, spent eight years as a librarian at Harvard uh, before she gave up the profession. But in those eight years, she was elected to council once. And so one time, all three of us were <laughs> serving on council. So, try up for it. <laughs> That's something else, huh? It's got to be a, a record. Little facts not worth yeah. knowing. Herb, did, did your military tours in Europe, uh, was that one of the impetus for you being very active in the International Federation of Library Associations? No, not particularly. That came along with just uh, a general interest. Of, for instance, the apartheid movement. I was very active at AOA in the uh, in the movement to uh, support the cultural boycott uh, uh, against uh, 
South Africa, uh, which was very controversial on ALA, because mm. all the publishers uh, were opposed to that. So you had people like Boone and uh, what's her name? You talking about Schumann again? Yeah, Schumann. Uh, <laughs> Schumann. Uh, I'm not surprised we forget her name. She was came to us here on Long Island for a Long Island Library Conference and was our evening speaker when we used to hold uh, a dinner program as well. And she treated Long Island as if we were some backwater area. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at any rate, um, so all these things... Our practice, and so unless you have any other queries, I'll start on Long Island. So when you that Suffolk job you came for was that the Lillard job or was yes, that job before? Okay, the Lillard job. straight to Lillard. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so I came for an interview, as I recall, and. And I got a call back, come on out and stuff like that. Um, and I got the job. Um, and what I knew of Wilrick was minimal, minimal. Uh, I found out that Wilrick was about 15 years old at the time and had several directors uh, prior, none stayed particularly long. Um, and I found out that we had office space, free office space at uh, the, the public library system, Suffolk. Um, but I didn't know much more about it. Um, and decided to take the job. I thought my wife <laughs> was in agreement and I found out afterwards that she was not going to leave her job at the <laughs> University of Chicago <laughs> Library School. And so for the following 17 years, we had a commuting marriage. But as bad as it may sound, at the University of Chicago, she had three months off during the summer, three weeks around Christmas, and so she was always commuting up and back often carrying a turkey with her. <laughs> she was uh, at the University of Chicago's laboratory school, Laboratory wasn't it? school, mm -hmm. the high school library. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was connected um, to the School of Education. Yeah. Um, and they, for a high school library, they, they had three or four librarians there. Mm. Uh, she eventually became, for a period of time, the head librarian and also she was elected union president for two terms uh, before she stepped down. So uh, she had broad experience there. And before she left, uh, they awarded her the Medal of something or other. And um, with the support of the director of the school, with the support of the director of the school. Uh, so anyway, uh, that was 20 years ago she retired and came out here. But getting back now to Lowrick, uh, the first thing I observed was 
that there were two public library systems. And I somehow or other I det determined that they're not the same. Why would they not be the same? Well, it turns out that the NASA public library system had a system of uh, member library participation. Um, and they were represented by an elected uh, group. And they sponsored monthly meetings with the director reported to. And it gave me an opportunity every month to report to them. And over the years, I really built a firm relationship with the NASA library system. You're talking about the member library directors group? Is that the group that's uh, in LS that you're talking about? There's only one member library directors group in NASA. Right. And they're elected by the membership by the public library directors. It's like a chair. It's a, a committee of the whole. Mm -hmm. Okay, their executive group. Executive group. Mm -hmm. And they report back to the monthly meetings. The supper group, and I think their charter is somewhat different, but I remember how much they have quarterly meetings, and these are the system director's meetings. The system director reports to the members at these quarterly director's meetings. And instead of a, a committee of the whole, they have the Public Library Directors Association. And this is a, a chartered separate group mm -hmm. that can be supportive of the directors or not supportive of the directors. And, and as I relate to developments, you see that there are times where they're not supportive. Well, the interesting thing was I wasn't on the job more than a month or two, and a committee of public library directors asked uh, for a meeting with me. And their whole reason for having the meeting was they wanted to know if I was independent of the Suffolk Public Library director. And just incidentally, before I had that meeting, I had to go in and talk to the director, who happened to be the treasurer of the Lurick Board at the time, because Somehow or other, he felt it was within his purview to not only to talk to the Lurick staff, but to criticize them and had one librarian in tears over that. And I had to go in and talk to him, tell him, this too won't work. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, this committee that wanted to find out how independent I was, I pointed out to them, I'm so independent that I went in there to talk to them about this and that. And they apparently were unhappy with the director. So I told them, 
I'm so independent, I don't actually agree with everything you've been saying, but I'll give you my recipe for this kind of problem. Ask questions. Don't jump on him. Just keep asking him questions until he can't answer the questions. And eventually if that something like that happened, and he blew his cork at a meeting, and he was gone. Uh, so this was very early in the, in the beginning. And one thing I found out as time passed, that in the charters that Lilric got, the charter that Lilric got, um, which was supported by a lot of the directors of NASA Public Libraries, was uh, that public libraries were entitled to their own membership in Lilric. At the time, that didn't seem very important. But down the road, you would find out that it came uh, a big cause soever uh, over that. But there were differences between the two systems. Uh, Lilric always has been poorly supported by the state uh, compared to the public library system and so forth. So he always was a, a poor kid on the block. Uh, so how did Lilric survive? Well, in the beginning I got the impression that the systems were helping fund the program. But it turns out that the money we were getting from the systems was a payment for interloan. Uh, for many years, I don't know how many, the systems did not do interloan between each other. For some reason or other, they almost didn't talk to each other. So while we were providing interloan for academics and mm -hmm. others, uh, we were always doing it across counties and collecting a fee for every interloan. Uh, that went on for quite a while, and then there were changes in both directors, and new directors from off the island came and took the positions. And one day I started to notice that our income from interloan with the system was declining almost to zero. And that's the way I found out that the two new directors got together and decided why give them the money when we could do it ourselves. So Lilric had to come up with a new formula for raising money. And about that time, databases became big. And we had an arrangement with uh, uh, what's the you talking about Westchester? Waldo? Waldo. Uh, Westchester Academic Library mm -hmm. Director's Association. Which lasted for a while, and we were collecting fees uh, from them, through them, and uh, eventually that faded away. Um, but Lilric uh, found another way to provide service and earn income. And that's what you see today. Uh, the uh, the continuing education program, which I understand 
is so successful, been so successful, that uh, after I left, uh, two new libraries joined the council from Suffolk County, including uh, one of the big East End libraries, because they wanted to get into the uh, the, the continuing education programs. At member rates. Uh, at member rates. And... Well, that probably brings to another aspect of Lurick's history and your history with it. Uh, and perhaps you'd like to talk about what took place 27 years ago at the retreat when the Conference on Libraries in the Future was developed. Okay, uh, I'm not sure what the, what the I, timeline is. Well, that was, that was shortly after the interlibrary loan funds had changed. The funding structure on that had changed. And uh, the board had indicated that it wanted to take uh, Lorick's light and take it from outside, from inside a, a bushel barrel and let it get yeah. visible to the rest of the world. Now that's the one thing I observed almost immediately that Lorick's light was under a bushel basket. Nobody knew it really existed, including uh, member libraries and stuff like that. Um, legislators certainly didn't know anything, and they still mostly don't know anything about Lurick, though a few of them are, are, are come on board, so to speak. But it's been very difficult uh, facing up against uh, the public libraries. Because every legislator, whether they can read or not, knows about their local public library because they have meetings there. And so it's been very difficult. I'll get to the point that you're making soon. But Lurick made every effort, made every effort on the uh, political front. Um, we, we started the... Uh, the breakfasts mm -hmm. many, many years ago. Uh, we make all the appointments. We do, we have the legislative committee. Uh, we do whatever we can, but it's still knocking your head up against the wall when you're trying to compete with the public libraries and the academic libraries. Uh, they don't let their people lobby uh, unless unless they can sneak through or, or hide or whatever the case may be. But getting back to your, your, your referring to the academic library conference? Well, no, I'm talking about libraries in the future. 27 years ago, that conference was established. Yeah. And I remember her, you telling me that that first conference told you one of the most important things that we should be doing as an organization. Absolutely. And that was? Training. Okay. Yeah. And he said it like they talk about real estate, the most important thing is location, <laughs> location, location. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Well, Herb said that the most important thing that we can do, be doing to be preparing uh, our libraries to meet the challenges of the future was training, training, training. Yeah. And I think starting at that point, we have a major increase in the amount of inter of um, continuing education that the council started to do. Right. And this is an area that where we compete 
with the public libraries. Uh, they, they all do some, but they have other things that uh, seem to be more immediate and, and they don't put in the energy that we put into to it. I always emphasize to myself and to the staff that our constituency is out there. We've got to go out there and meet them, mix with them. We're all fishes in the same ocean, and we got to know each other. And our reputation as a, as a council depends upon how well you relate out there, and it impacts on everything that we do. Uh, so uh, I think the staff has done miracles that way, and the more you're out there talking to people in committees and chairing committees, uh, uh, we're doing our job, and we're helping to support ourselves, too. So, so maybe, and Chris, I know you've talked to a lot of people outside of New York State with different systems. So, Herb, how would you describe what Lilric is if it was someone from off-island? Or what, what kind of system are we talking about? How does it fit into the landscape of... It's a multi-type library system. Uh, but... But not... Not really. <laughs> well, I, it's, I know, and even I, even I was on the board, and I, I don't know if yeah. I could explain it coherently. But it, it's a, one of the three R's, right? Yeah, one of. Are you mentioned the three R's earlier? There are nine systems throughout the state. They're called reference and research referral agencies. Yeah. They were established by New York State by the legislature to provide a way for the colleges to be able to uh, work cooperatively, and it has expanded because. For example, with Lilric, as Herb mentioned a moment ago, um, some of our major founders, the people who are on our initial charter, were leaders of some of the largest public libraries in Nassau and Suffolk County. So it has had that history of the public libraries as well as the academic libraries looking for cooperation. Mm -hmm. But is, is it unique to New York? Are there... Uh, is it can you name an example of a similar 3R type thing in Indiana or Ohio? Or? There were multi-type systems all over the country. But when the crunch hit, most of them collapsed for lack of funding. Now, I was in Illinois when the uh, system started up in, uh, in Illinois. And there were 18 systems around the state originally called public library systems, but the following year they found out that was a mistake. It should have been multi-type systems. So they changed the name, but they couldn't quite change the legislation. And I don't know how they survived all these years, but it's barely survival. They only have two systems shown from 18, hmm. one northern and one southern Illinois. There are states where they were wiped out completely. So how we survived with 71 systems off the record is a miracle to me. Despite the lack of funding, all 71 systems. You're talking about in New York State? New York State. Well, there are the 93 R's. Mm -hmm. There are 22 
26 public library systems and school library systems all over the place. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I think this is hodgepodge. My own impression is that the, the three R's were generated to serve another purpose. But the public library system probably complained bitterly, and so they just reinterpreted the legislation and and made Lurick what it is today. But also, one of the things that I constantly remind myself is that things are constantly changing. Things are constantly changing. Lurick does not look anything like it did when it started. First of all, if you know your history of Long Island, there were all sorts of industrial organizations, aircraft factories, stuff like that. They all had libraries. They all had membership in Lurick. Today, Lurick has one corporate library member, and that corporate library it's not a library anymore. The librarian uh, was not fired. The library was shut down, and they made him a researcher. And he keeps the membership quiet. So uh, we have some corporate, some libraries, special libraries that are not corporate libraries. They're still members. But uh, we no longer have corporate libraries. Uh, and um, and there are other changes along those lines too uh, that we have learned to live with. Uh, but at any rate, uh, where did I leave off? The the changes have been dramatic, even though they seem to be imperceptible. Uh, when I came aboard, the directors of public of school academic libraries used to meet every month for lunch. Now they don't meet at all. And gradually, they went from monthly meetings to semi-monthly to quarterly to biannual to the point where I was scheduling the meetings, and I'm not even a member of the group. <laughs> Uh, well, and, and I know we want to get to technology. I'm wondering if some of that is the change. Like once you had email, the, the need to meet someone face-to-face -face to talk something over diminished a little. So I wonder if that kind of um, leveled things out a little bit. It not really do that kind of change because one of the purposes of those meetings was an exchange of ideas within a group. And while email may be a way that you can blast information out to people, not having the same type of interchange, uh, I think, detracted from what was taking place. Because you heard, this is what that library was doing. There was questions about a coordinated collection development came up at those types of meetings. Well, but then you had listservs. I mean, that could what? be a listserv yeah, sure. conversations. You know, well, I, I think other modes of conversation. Well, you're a library director at an academic library these days. How much is that going on? What, listserv? I still use listservs. And but how much is that going on with the other academic librarians, the academic library directors? Oh, as, um, as a group? As mm. a group. It's not taking place. Well, as a matter of fact, that's one of the things that 
Lord did do it within the last four years. Finally recognized that trying to work with the directors is a no-win situation and started the, the, uh, the program, annual program of, uh, what do we call it? Um, oh, um, um, the Invitational, Academic, academic Invitational. Right. Got to work with the staff. Oh, because there's no sense working with people who don't want to talk to each other. And it goes way back when computers really started to take hold in academic libraries. Can you believe it? That every academic library on the island that I know of all bought a system that nobody else bought. Yeah. Nobody, none of the two, not even two of them ever got together and said, let's go, um, maybe we can get a, a, a cheaper mm. rate or we can work out something between the two of us. They all did their own thing. Mm. I couldn't believe it. That's amazing that there wasn't more coordination. There was no coordination. That's, that, that's amazing to me. There well, were some attempts on that. Um, CDW Post, I think it was CLSI, that they had back in the beginning. And the person who was a consultant there then went over to Adelphi. But Adelphi decided to go with Innovative Interfaces at the time, which was a different program. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. Nassau was busy at the time getting direction, in a sense, from uh, state, well, SUNY Central. Mm -hmm. So it went with a program by Carlisle. So it was a state system? Or was it just well, something because that was offered by the state and you had it locally? Well, it didn't offer it, but the, they, well, they had set up a contract with the Carlisle Group. And as the uh, Nassau Community College is part of the state university system in an indirect way, mm -hmm. um, that was felt it should be going in that direction. So there's all sorts of changes. Mm -hmm. But LORIC has done some major things when you talk about cooperation and coordination that should be talked about. Uh, and one of the ones that I like to mention has to do with when we had the Long Island Media Consortium, which was a byproduct of the Long Island Regional Advisory Council on Higher Education, where the presidents of the colleges used to get together. And back in those days, many of us had large film collections, mm. and they asked the question of how can these resources be shared? Well, there was no real mechanism for it until LORIC came about. Mm -hmm. And LORIC was the agency that said, we have a way that we can make this work. And Herb was part of that team that made uh, that sharing of film resources available in the academic community. Well, we've done that, and we've done some other things which still survive. Uh, one of the original motivations for public libraries to see uh, the system work is they wanted access to the holdings in academic libraries. And through the arrangement that we had of Interloan, that worked. Well, when Interloan started to disappear, we came up with uh, an individual who would be able to go to an academic library and borrow. Now, it's not a big program, but it still remains. It still provides service, particularly to public library people who are in areas 
where they're locally academic libraries. Like Stony Brook still gets a lot of requests mm -hmm. from the people in the community. Um, it's called the Research Loan Program, is R what he's R talking R about. Right, yeah. And what it is, is if you have a patron or a, a student, any of your clientele, that needs resources and you don't have it in your library, but one of the academic libraries has that kind of collection, you can give them a card that allows them to go to the other library and actually borrow materials. And it says that those of us in the other academic library, the place that the person came from, takes responsibility. So if the patron doesn't return it, we are making sure that the loaning library is kept intact. The same way it would with an initial library loan That's between correct. public libraries. But now the person can actually walk into the building, look on the shelves, and find the materials that they're looking for and borrow them directly. Let me uh, mention a couple of things that, before we finish, that should be mentioned. Um, uh, I mentioned that public libraries under the original plan before I got here were eligible for their own membership in Lurick, which is unique among the nine three R's. None of the others hmm. allow that. What, what, what do they allow? Just uh, the membership through your membership in the system. The system itself. Okay. Yeah, but. This was established 15 years before I got here. And so it was nothing new for me or the people on the island. Um, one day, some years later, we got a call from the state library that said that we'll grandfather in all the uh, public libraries that are members, but you can't take in any more public library members. Well, the board told me we got to fight that. And um, so we argued up and back with the state library. And finally, the state library came down uh, with all their high-level staff, and we had a meeting in Suffolk County. And to my undying gratitude, some of the leaders of the Suffolk uh, Public Library System were vehement with the State Library. You can't tell us who could be members. Uh, we, we can do whatever we think is for the benefit of our membership. Were they just trying to standardize you with the rest of the state, or what, what was their I have no idea contention, what bone of contention? Their there. motivation was. Yeah. At any rate, they, the State Library refused to uh, relent. So the board said to me, go to the legislator and get a bill. Well, I know I always consider myself politically active, but I've never tried to get a bill. We, we, we went to work on this. We did a lot of publicity work and stuff like that. And we recruited Senator Val and uh, what's his name? The controller. Oh, Tom Denapoli. Tom Denapoli, who was an assemblyman, uh, to submit a bill. And they did. And we lobbied and lobbied. And on the last day of the session, uh, I was at an ALA in Dallas. I was on the telephone <laughs> with his, the, his office 
and he was walking the bill through. The bill passed. And then the Napoli said to me, the governor will never sign it. I said, well, we'll see. Uh, and we started a postcard campaign to the governor. Who, who and, was the governor at that point? Uh, Mario Cuomo. <laughs> he signed it. So it's in the one uh, the one thing that we conceded, and that was not a problem for us, is that we said that public libraries had to be a member of their own system as well. That was not a problem. Jack Smith, who was a dean at Stony Brook at that time, uh, he was the president of the board. We made several trips up to Albany, and uh, so that passed. The, le- the language in the legislature specifically talks about Wilrick. Now they've buried it under the abbreviation of, uh, that they distribute around, but it's in the legislation buried someplace. And, um, and well, that was a, a major victory. No other three R's in the state got any kind of bill ever passed in the legislature. Uh, so we shouldn't forget that there still is power hmm. in, in making noise. But, uh, and the interesting thing is that the people who supported us, the directors in Suffolk County or so vehement, before many years turned upon Lorick like dogs. Uh, and try to chew us up. Uh, and I want to mention this here without mentioning names. Uh, went to a board meeting, a regular, uh, no, a membership meeting. Um, naive, thinking all the world was uh, great. And all of a sudden, there's a motion put on the floor to reduce the uh, membership fee by $30. And two separate directors get up and make the motion. And and since nobody expected anything special, uh, it was passed. And I can still envision some directors who are now very friendly, thumbs up to the people in the back of the room. so the interesting thing is not a single Nassau library wanted a refund of the $30. So we can live with that. The next thing coming down the road is somebody from upstate sends me a copy of an email that one one leading light in Suffolk Public Libraries uh, sent out to all the Suffolk Public Libraries, not all of them being members yet, but most of them were. Don't renew your membership next year, and if you already renewed it, ask for a refund. Six libraries had renewed their membership. All the others dropped their membership simultaneously. So, uh, how do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. Well, a year passed, and 
we had six public library members and several county's members. All the others withdrew their support. One year later, a public library director who I highly regard said to me, what did I do that for? I don't have any problems with Lowrick. And he renewed his membership, and a few more renewed their membership. And all these years later, while we've gotten new members who never were members, some of those libraries that were members never renewed their membership to this day. And what's interesting is the membership fee would have been less than what they're paying because they're paying non-member rates to attend lower programs. So they've, in a sense... Well, uh, worse than that, Art, there are libraries who have never sent a single person to any kind of program. So that director, for whatever reason, is denying his own staff the, uh, the benefits of these programs. And the point you're making the largest library in Suffolk County was paying non-member fees way above the cost of the dues. With, with all the mem uh, attendees, yeah. All the uh, non-member fees. Were, were you surprised? At what Was there any point in your tenure where it became too much where you said, this is ridiculous? <laughs> or, or is, I mean, is, is this normal for anyone running this kind of multi- type of complex system that these issues will come up, or, or is, is Long Island Probably. somehow special well, in this scenario? Well, Long Island is always a special case anyhow. We're a very yeah. powerful group of people running our lives as individuals. Kingdoms, yeah. um, but any large organization that's there for a long time, there's always tensions mm -hmm. that exist. But Herb mentioned something earlier that we probably should go back to, and that was about the strength of the organization in terms of legislative activities. And as Herb indicated, um, I don't know how many years ago this is, must be at least 30 years ago, that we held our first legislative breakfast. Uh, and before that point, we tried some other activities because NILA has, the New York Library Association, has been running an advocacy day in the state capitol well, for I guess it's at least 45 years. And we said, well, we go up there, we talk to legislature, legislators, and then everybody's rushing back. What can we do to get in a more friendly way of speaking to legislators? So we had some ideas that we tried up in Albany that we actually sponsored um, an event to take place at the yeah. end of Lobby Day. Yeah. We sponsored a reception hope to get the legislators to come on down five four o'clock five o'clock before we get on the buses and if you know the trip to albany that's a fairly long bus ride yeah but we would be up there and and do it and we did it for quite a few years um we had a number of people who crashed our parties we saw some legislative aides but eventually said this is not effective let's try something else and that's when the legislative breakfast took place and we said Let's find a time that is not during the busy legislative season. And that's why you see we have the legislative breakfast taking place in September. 
before the legislators get very involved in their activities, although in election years it's a little more difficult. And here's a time, let's talk about things in a friendly environment. We're not right on top of it about asking for money. We could talk about issues. And this has now been going on. What, how many years is it? Herb? Do you know what the year of the legislative breakfast was? Uh, 30 odd years. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that our colleagues around the state said, you know, Long well, Island found a great way of doing things. Let's replicate it. Now, did any of that come from your uh, campaigning for Wallace or like your your oh. political <laughs> process training? Or did you bring that to bear on this? Uh, or did you just come up with these strategies as you found each new problem, you, you found a way to tackle it? Uh, must be some must be some connection, but I, I can't find one tie one to the other. I've always been politically active, so can't tell you how many anti Vietnam parades I've been in, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, with libraries, it's another story because. It's really not a mass movement kind of thing that you can melt into. And here we, we, we had to take the initiative. We had to develop initiatives where the other things, somebody else develops it, right. and you march along. And mm-hmm. Herb is going to say this, but I'll tell you what has been the strength of it. Herb is not afraid to take strong people and put them on the committees to work on ideas. So he can sit back, help out the committee to move forward, but picking people who are willing to go out front and do things, and picking those library directors who may be at each other's throats at different times, but when it comes to a problem uh, on Long Island, people get together and try to solve the problem. Uh, well, and Lilwick has worked very effectively that way. Very well be. The interesting thing, thing, and this is the last thing I'll mention to you because it's the last big thing out there. Uh, I never doubted that there were elements uh, in Suffolk public libraries who, for some reason that I can't define and won't define, were out of my rear end. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Because cutting the dues is one thing. Cutting our support from all the public libraries in Suffolk County, that's going even further. When that didn't work, they, they I say they, but I think it's really one individual providing the leadership, went out for my rear end. And I received a letter in the mail telling me that this person was not satisfied with my performance, et cetera, et cetera. In a sense, I guess, recommending that I depart or something like that. Well, it finally ended up at the board and at board meetings where there were debates across the table and stuff like that. Uh, And finally, there was a motion, I guess there was a motion to uh, fire me. 
So the president of the board called a special board meeting to go over that. And after a long debate, they came down with a resolution 13 to 2 saying that if Herb is, if there's anything deficient, uh, that Herb is, uh, is, is guilty of, it's not his responsibility, it's our responsibility. Mm -hmm. So that ended that thing. It's a vote uh, of confidence right there. Yeah, so nothing like that's happened since. It's a while back now. Um, I don't know if Walt was on the board part of that I time. think I was president of the board at the time. And the debates. Uh, um, uh, actually, that didn't end it. The uh, committee of three went to the board president privately and asked the board president to remove me. And the board president said, on what grounds? Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the end of that. But, uh, just ask them the question, like you were saying before. Just yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, ask them a question. question until they can't answer it. There's yeah. no right. bill of particulars that yeah. could be, <laughs> could be <laughs> arranged. Mm -hmm. It was really, very, really very ugly. Uh, but uh, I had no intention of walking away from it. And, and I'm, I'm not sure to this day what this particular individual, because it comes down or individual uh, motivations were, uh, and he had the nerve to come up to me at one of our receptions up in Albany and say, well, at any rate, uh, whatever I did has made you and Lurick stronger. <laughs> Pass through the fire. Yeah. We, we haven't recovered from all the damage yet, and you're telling me, you made it stronger. But let me say that uh, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed my time at Lowrick because it allowed me to become an activist librarian. And uh, I don't think I could have lasted as long uh, in any other capacity. Uh, so in, the, in hindsight, it was a very wise move on my part to move to Suffolk County. Now I see what the rest of the uh, area looks like. Uh, but um, it's, and the board, I have to say, except for one or two individuals, the board has always been supportive of any efforts that I've made can't say that they're all successful, but uh, I think for the most part, I think uh, Lowrick has a lot of challenges ahead because uh, I think things look a little better for funding in the state since they didn't cut the school budgets. No, but they did go, once again, our illustrious governor has removed the increase that library services got last year from the state, and it's making us, once again, fight for what we should have gotten every year. Um, it's a sad feature that way back in 1990, we were promised certain funding, and the state has 
with rare exception, never given that funding to libraries. Well, the, the, the sad fact is that the uh, budget cuts in uh, 2007 have never been completely restored. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, there was hopeful that at least that might be restored. And the school budgets were restored last year. All the money that was cut out was given back to so, uh, and the, the legislature is the reasonably good to libraries from the leadership of the island here, mm -hmm. but uh, they also will only fight up to a certain point. Uh, and that's so, why it's so important for Lilric in providing services to also try to see that income comes along with that. And uh, I, I think, uh, well, I hate to tell you this, but I still wake up sometimes thinking about Lilric budget. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually forget it. It's not so long ago that you were just... <laughs> well, I, I'm curious. What, what would you say, uh, and for full disclosure, I was on the board. Art, you're still on the board? Yes. Yes. <laughs> What, what advice would you give to your successor, whoever that may be? Well, I have to say, say that along with programs, budget fundraising is equally important because without the, uh, without the budget, it's going to limit your ability to do things. There's just so much you can squeeze out of yourself and out of people. And uh, so budget is a very crucial thing. Uh, I won't go into, I, I know I won't go into detail, but there are areas that the board can look at. Um, and, and make some improvements. Uh, I will say one thing, I will say, no I won't. <laughs> you know, you two should have your own podcast. I think this is yeah, this a, is a, a legislative library uh, okay. debate every week. Yeah. Or something. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> well, between Herb and myself, we're dealing with seventy-five years of library service on Long Island. It's impressive. So, <laughs> every five years between 25. the two of us, that's seventy-five oh, years yeah. of library service on oh, Long yeah. Island. So. We've seen, wow. a, we've seen a bit. <laughs> so are there any other questions? Uh, well, just one more question about um, your beginning. Was there someone that you uh, looked to or for inspiration or somebody who inspired you once you were in the field or maybe even before you got into the field? Well, I'll tell you sort of, no, I don't know what influence it had on me, but my uncle was a partner in a used bookshop on 4th Avenue, Biblo and Tannen. And, um, and there have been several other librarians in distant parts of my family, um, and uh, at least one other bookseller. So I don't know if it's by osmosis or what. Uh, I can't point to anything in particular, but... Uh, yeah, my. Well, just look at his name. 
I know, you know, and I never really yeah. realized that before. Biblo. Yeah, very close to Biblio. Yeah, books. Well, that makes, <laughs> it was fate. My name is spelled two different ways: Biblio and Bilbo. Uh, now, okay. you, you know, there were two Bilbos. There was a Jack Bilbo who was an artist, and then there was a Senator Bilbo from Mississippi who was the worst segregationist uh. at the time. <laughs> so I don't know who. Which Bilbo I am. Well, and there's The Hobbit, too. So That's it's right. Really inspired <laughs> Bilbo by the, Baggins. Bilbo Baggins. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not up on children's literature. Okay. <laughs> well, that one's not necessarily children's literature in terms of The Hobbit. <laughs> well, the, the, that original book was more of a mm-hmm. children's book. Yeah, yeah I, I think we, I mean, we, we, I think we've wandered through your, through your life. <laughs> I think we covered a lot of yeah. Yeah, The only thing yeah. we missed is the fact that Herbert's also been an officer of associations here on Long Island. Back in 1994, the Nassau County Library Association had him as its president. I'm not sure if you were also president at Suffolk. Oh. No. No. Okay. But uh, he did serve on the as the president of the Nassau County Library Association. And he was also recognized as a Library Directory Associates Award winner for excellence in librarianship. So that's it's extremely impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, my goal was, or not, not my goal was, to get all the Suffolk libraries back into membership. Uh, the Nassau 54 public libraries have been members from day, not from day one, but for the longest time, and we've noticed that if a library director from Nassau comes to Suffolk and a library is not a member, in two weeks, in two months, they're members. <laughs> they, they go quickly. And when some of the old-timers retire and new people from libraries that have been members become directors, the last one that I saw the check was on the table before I even knew she was a new director. Uh, so the the libraries that have been using the services are high, but they can't convince all their members. In the early days, we understood if they were East End libraries and small, maybe they wouldn't join. But now we've got we've got Montauk, we've got uh, West. Uh, Whatever, not Babylon. West, West, West Hampton? West Hampton, East Hampton. Okay. Um, we got Riverhead. So there's no reason for the others not to join. But um, it's very difficult to lobby this kind of situation. Well, just the other day, two more yeah. Suffolk libraries joined the council. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, one thing that I found really interesting, it was my first um, annual conference going to uh, this past year, and one thing that I talk about a lot on the podcast is how there's this invisible line between the counties, and the communication is not the way I feel it should be. So uh, what was nice to see was the Suffolk people and the Nassau people, Not I'm not talking about directors, I'm not talking about administrators or anything, I'm talking about the, the, the people who have their boots on the ground, the people in the trenches every day sitting and talking and now interacting, knowing each other. And that conference is just one way that I think Lurick helps to make that bridge across 110 
mm-hmm. which is really kind of a, a silly thing. It's like a DMZ almost mm-hmm. in some respects. Well, actually, there's two walls. One is at Route 110. The other one is at the Cross Island Parkway. Yes, that's a bigger wall. Okay. But some of that broke down many years ago with what's called the uh, Long Island Library Conference. It's not a little function, mm-hmm. but that had been a combined conference of the Nassau County Library Association's uh, program and the Suffolk County Library Association's program. And that was a way of getting people to see, you know, we've got things happening on both sides of, of Route 110 that we should be knowing yeah. what's going on. And we're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And. I know that we've reached out to Levittown and Merrick and Port Washington and mm-hmm. you know and, and East Meadow and, and places like that. And at the end of the day, you know, it's like that old thing, that old saying: you put your pants on, you know, one leg at a time, just like everybody else. We serve our patrons mm-hmm. one leg at a time, just like everybody else. Well, the important thing is the fact that Herb is visible on both counties. Absolutely, he gets out. He throughout the thirty-five years he's been with Lowrick, you would see him at activities throughout Nassau County as well as Suffolk County. So that takes to bridge that gap as well and say, come on, folks, you don't have to stick it in one area. Right. If, I, if I can drive here, area. you can drive here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's been a, a wonderful career, and, and thank you for sharing uh, all your stories with us, and, and thank you for all the service that you provided to, to our counties and for New York State as well. Well, I expect Lowrick will continue to do the same. I'm sure. My heart will make sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for coming. And Art, thank you so much for coming. And Chris, thank you thank also. You. Thanks for having us. Uh, so I just want to you know, take this opportunity to thank everyone again for coming, and uh, especially for Herb for coming out and answering all our, our uh, questions and, and telling us his, his history, because it really is fascinating. Um, the contribution is immeasurable, and we really do thank you for everything. So thanks for coming out, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Cristofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachem Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch. Carlton Welch.